Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Excited for another edition of the HTC pod. As always, we are recapping ECU baseball, the week that was, and oh, what a week it was, as the Pirates have now won five in a row. They beat Duke in dominant fashion on Tuesday night in Durham, and then they sweep the Keith LeClaire Classic with wins over Indiana State, Michigan, and Maryland. This five-game winning streak, the Pirates have beating have beaten five regional teams in a row from last year. So they aren't just beating a bunch of nobodies. We'll talk a lot about ECU baseball, of course. I uh, wanted to first touch on a, a few other items. Uh, as always, Steve and I go with you guys, publisher of HoistedColors.net. Uh, first off, if you're a member of Hoisted Colors and you're on our message board, you know I made a post last week that going forward, probably not this week, but starting next week, going to try to do a segment on the podcast where we welcome members of hoistacolors.net to the podcast. And if you are interested, if you're a listener or a member of HTC and you and you want to come on and, you know, share some of your your background, the the let's get the story behind the usernames on hoistacolors. We got a lot of people that love to take whether it's jabs at the players, coaches or just commentary. Well, now's your time to step up and and uh, speak in person on the podcast. You don't have to share your real full name if you don't want to. But uh let's at least hear your voice, some of your background. And obviously not everybody's a, a negative poster, but just um I have personally invited Orion, who if you follow ECU basketball on Hoist the Colors, you know that he is one of our more interesting posters in terms of always having a um argument of side to everything that happens and typically is of the negative variety. So I've invited him on the show, have not heard back from Ori yet. Uh, we also plan to get several other guys, but if you're interested in joining, we're going to try to get one guy on a week starting next week. It'll give us some something to cover during the spring and summer when you know not as many games are going on. Baseball, spring practice will be going on, so we'll have that to talk about. But just wanted to throw that out there. There's a thread on HTC that you can post in, and I'm going to go down the list basically and try to get you guys on one by one. Maybe we'll get two people on at one time if they've got a beef they want to work out over the air. But we'll ask you your background. You know what 
What led you to hoist the colors? What led you to being a pirate fan? What do you like about the site? What you want to see change about the site? Um, some takes on pirate athletics, all sorts of stuff. So that'll be fun. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Also on the basketball front, I'm recording this Monday morning. The women's basketball team is about to play this afternoon in the first round of the conference tournament against Memphis. And they're looking to extend their season. They split with Memphis during the regular season. We'll see what they can do in the first round. Winner gets South Florida. And then on the men's side, Joe Dooley's club lost a tough one at Wichita State this past weekend. 70-62. to Led pretty late in the second half. Battled back from an early deficit, but just couldn't make the plays late. Wichita goes on a 10-0 run to close out that game. So a disappointing loss for uh, Joe Dooley, but still they finished the regular season 15-14, and 6-11 in conference play. And they opened play in the conference tournament on Thursday against Cincinnati, who is the 8th seed, ECU the 9th seed. We talked about what an important game that Wichita State contest was going to be. If ECU found a way to win it, they were going to move to the 7th seed. They would have drawn Tulsa in the first round. They would have avoided being on Houston's side of the bracket instead. If they beat... Cincinnati, then they have to play Houston in the second round. If they somehow were able to beat Houston, then they have to play the winner of Tulane and Memphis. More than likely, Memphis with the way they're playing. You want to talk about a brutal road to a potential conference tourney run. Uh, ECU did not do themselves any favors by drawing the number nine seed, and they are locked into some pretty tough matchups. Of course, Cincinnati won both games during the regular season as well. We'll see what Joe Dooley's club can do. We'll talk a lot about basketball at the conclusion of the season, so probably sometime next weekend with a podcast. Obviously, a lot out there about Joe Dooley's future. He's got one year left on his deal. Uh, I think at this point, it's fair to speculate on his future, and I'm going to reach out to the uh, athletic department after the conclusion of the season just to get some sort of statement or response in terms of Joe Dooley's future with just one year left on his contract heading into next season. So we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. We will talk about uh, football. Spring football will start on Tuesday, March 15th, so we're just over a week away from that. So we got a lot to do, but we're talking baseball today. I've got several questions on the Twitter sphere uh, to answer, but we'll start with our weekly look back and um, going to, you know, we'll go through these games a little bit, but I just wanted to talk about some primary themes more than anything on this podcast. As most of you guys watch the games, um, of course, the Duke game, I thought the biggest takeaway on Tuesday was the start of Nick Logish. You know, we heard a lot about Logish, who's a fifth-year senior, former Juco guy in the preseason in terms of him being a starting rotation candidate. Well, he started the year in the bullpen partly because Cliff Goblin said he wanted to have some experience on the back end. You look at the start of the year, you have C.J. Mayhew as your written-in closer. But outside of that, you really had very little experience. Now, we've seen guys emerge in terms of, uh, you know, go-to options. Skylar Brooks has really kind of asserted himself as a potential closer option. Carter Spivey. Now Garrett Saylor's back in the bullpen. So we've seen guys emerge, and then that allowed ECU to start Nick Logish on Tuesday. And I thought just watching it in person, sitting behind home plate for some of the game and sitting by the dugouts, taking some photos, his stuff looked pretty electric. Um, Changeup was really good. You know, He's thrown the ball in the high 80s to low 90s, but his fastball has some serious ride to it. Gets on hitters. Uh, broke out a nice little breaking ball every now and then to free some Duke batters. But I thought the development of seeing Nick Logish pitch that well was, was something that really 
bodes well for this team going forward. We'll see if he stays in that kind of swing midweek starter bullpen role or if he ends up going to the weekend rotation. I think both are viable possibilities. With a five-game week this coming week, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But I thought just uh, that development, and obviously the bullpen continued to pitch well again. And, and, you know, we'll talk about that because that ended up being the theme of the week and really what allowed ECU along with the offense to go 4-0. and But several offensive heroes in the game as well. Um, Jake, Jacob Jenkins Cowart started off the week hot at the plates and continued that throughout the week. But, man, he continues to hit. He's shown the ability to go to the opposite field. He's shown the ability to pull the ball with power. So really continue to like what I'm seeing from him as a freshman. Uh, and the lineup all throughout hit some had some very quality at bats early against Duke's pitching, and ended up you know leaving some guys on base. But then they broke through. Bryson Worrell, Alec Mekarevich, two uh, two veteran guys that ECU's kind of count on, really stepped up this week, starting with the Duke game. So. Pirates beat UNC 5-0 on Sunday to go to 2-5, and and that kind of felt like it was right in the ship, but then we wanted to see what was going to happen to follow. Was that just kind of a one-game mirage, or was this a sign of things to come? Turns out it was a sign of things to come, as ECU bludgeons Duke 12-2 on Tuesday to win their second in a row, moved to 3-5 and on the year, and Duke has now lost to ECU 21 out of the last 22 games. And part of the streak, of course, was when Duke baseball was not good. But in the past five years, they have been a perennial, regional, super regional caliber team. They've been on the cusp of Omaha a couple times. And the way ECU has just dominated this series has been pretty remarkable. The only win during that stretch coming in, uh, I believe, 2018 or 19 at Duke in Durham. They beat um, Gavin Williams around pretty good in that game. And that was the only win in the stretch. So Pirates continue their dominance of Duke. So then you go into the Keith LeClaire Classic. And, you know, I think the headliners of the Classic were Michigan and Maryland just because obviously the Big Ten name, the brand. But people who follow college baseball know Indiana State is is a very quality club, especially the last few years. They've been a really good team. Um, They've made regionals the past two full seasons. They were in the Vanderbilt Regional both times in 2019. They were a runner-up last year. They, I think, finished in third place behind Georgia Tech and Vanderbilt, but competed well in the regional. And so, you know, this was not going to be an easy opener. They moved Jake Kuchmaner from Saturday to Friday, up a day, so he was on a day's short rest. Really just did not look crisp. Um, Some hard contact early, and Indiana State entered the series just having to put up some remarkable run total. So these guys can hit, and they hit early and often. Um, got, you know, but Kuchmer did a decent job keeping them off the board in the first couple innings. They eventually scratched some runs across in the middle innings, took a 3-2 lead, but the Pirates battled back. They ended up tying it at 3-3 in the, in the fourth on an error, and then Ryder Giles and Zach Agnos both execute perfect bunts in the sixth inning. ECU baseball at its finest. You know, Cliff Gobbins said it best after the series finale on Sunday. You know, we got back to playing team baseball. And that's when ECU's at its best. Of course, you're always going to have some star power, some talent leading the way and kind of just taking over in certain spots. But, you know, when this team is executing the hit and runs, they're bunting, they're making the plays in the field, uh, they're just having quality at bats, you know, maybe making an out but moving the runners, sack fly. Like, that's ECU baseball. Yeah, they can hit the ball out of the park. But on Friday night, I feel like we really saw ECU kind of take advantage of most opportunities they were given. Credit Giles and Agnos with the bunts. 
Agnos's bunt coming with the bases loaded and two outs. Not a situation you you figure a guy's going to bunt, and that's why the defense is playing back. But very smart coaching and very smart uh, on Agnos's part to put that ball down the third base line. Great play and, and really no chance of getting anybody, even with the force out at home. So uh, that ended up being the decisive run. Pirates win the game five to four. Of course, we got to talk about Skylar Brooks. We mentioned him earlier. He kind of had probably his best outing of his career in the bullpen. Came to ECU with a lot of uh, hype, highly recruited player, just has not been able to stay healthy, but has transitioned to more of a two-way guy to, uh, from a two-way guy to basically a reliever this year. Throwing the ball in the low 90s has, has brought out a, a really wipeout breaking ball, something he was missing in the past. Um, he goes two innings, gives up one hit, and strikes out four, ends up earning the the six-out save, and he got out of some jams late. So it's good to see with C.J. Mayhew maybe not being his best early this season. We know that he's going to be there. Uh, I think eventually he will bounce back. I asked Cliff Goblin after Saturday's game kind of what's going on there. He's just a tick off right now. But it's good that you have other options. And, you know, unfortunately, Cooch Manor was only able to go three innings, but the bullpen – as it would be for most of the weekend, was phenomenal. Carter Spivey gets out of a big jam. He ends up going an inning. Uh, gave up a few ground balls with the bases loaded, but, I mean, what are you going to do? He didn't allow a run himself. Garrett Saylor goes from rotation to the bullpen, gets his fastball back, one and a third inning, all four outs via the strikeout. C.J. Mayhew goes one and two thirds, gives up one run, and then Skylar Brooks, two innings, one hit, no walks, four K's and gets a save. So stellar bullpen work, one run given up in six innings. You'll take that every time. And this would go on to be a theme. ECU starting pitching would not record an out in the fourth inning all weekend long. And yet the Pirates still swept the series largely due to the offense and to the bullpen. On Saturday, it was a awesome reunion, awesome moment as Eric Backage, former uh, ECU baseball player Nick Schnabel, another former ECU baseball player who played alongside Cliff Goblin under Keith LeClaire, ended up re- you know reuniting at home plate prior to the game between ECU and Michigan on Saturday, and it was just you know you, you couldn't watch that that situation and not get chills from it. Uh, Cliff Goblin and ECU end up presenting. Backage and Snobble with number 23 frame jerseys, I think with a picture of Keith LeClaire and a picture of both those guys playing at ECU. And you can just see the emotion on all three of them. And you can tell that Coach Backage, Coach Snobble, still really appreciate and love ECU. So it made for an emotional moment. Um, another great weekend, by the way. Just, man, first of all, the, the, the throwback jerseys with the pirate script across the chest, the vest-like look. Uh, with the purple sleeves, I mean that is—it's got to be one of the best uniforms in college baseball. It's—you uh, it, know—I tweeted out if it's not number one, it's definitely up there. But that look, everybody wearing twenty-three. I mean, this is the third year ECU's done it now, but it's—it's it's just as special as the first time they trotted out there, uh, and it's—it's it's just awesome to see Coach LeClaire's, um, you know, his vision for the program still being here and his legacy still taking hold and still mattering today. I mean, a lot of that credit, of course, goes to Coach Godwin for playing under him, for keeping it going, but um, it's it's a special sight to cover the Keith LeClaire Classic every year and to be reminded of Coach LeClaire's legacy. So just had to, to, to briefly touch on that. 
Uh, ECU ends up winning the game 10-8. to This was a an, an interesting game. Michigan strikes first. Josh Groves actually got his first career start. Um, and we've kind of said all along, Josh Groves could be a potential Friday night guy with his stuff. And he, he flashed that stuff on Friday. Or on Saturday, excuse me. He, he was up to 95, and he was consistently 93-94. Um, slider wasn't as good as we've seen in the past. Change-up was a little hit or miss, and so Michigan, which is a very good hitting team, took advantage of him up in the zone early. Ted Burton ends up hitting a two-run shot in the top of the first, and Groves ends up only going three innings, and he had to really work to do it. Uh, throws 64 pitches, gave up five hits, three runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. But all things considered, I mean, your, your first career start coming in that emotional environment in front of the biggest crowd of the season, not an easy spot. I thought Groves handled himself pretty well. Certainly there's a lot to learn from, and but I think more than anything, you take the positives from it. First-year starter or first-time starter in that spot, pitched out of some big jams. You know, Coach Godwin left him in in the third inning. He pitched out of a bases loaded jam with a big strikeout, so... He'll learn from that. I think next time in that situation will be a little more composed and he'll continue to grow from that. But he's looked dominant in relief outings at Duke at UNC. That was his first time pitching at home and that type of crowd in a while. So uh, I think Josh Groves has a chance to be a Friday night guy for the year is up. And just with his stuff, once he hones it, he's going to be special. Um, he ended up getting the win because he was on a pitch count, predetermined pitch count again. He'll end up working more as the season goes along. He'll likely stay in the starting rotation. And he got the win because ECU answered the early Burton two-run shot with a five spot in the bottom of the first. They got some help from Michigan's defense. You had a uh, an error by the second baseman. You had a missed fly ball in center field. Uh, but you had some clutch hitting after that. Carter Cunningham, Zach Agnos, and Justin Wilcoxon all delivered RBI singles. Ryder Giles had another big sacrifice bunt squeeze play to bring home a fifth run. So ECU led five to two after one inning of play, and Michigan scored a run against Groves in the third before he pitched out of that jam, but the score remained 5-3 to three through the middle innings for a pretty long time. Again, more stellar bullpen work as Carter Spivey and Garrett Saylor combined to go three and two-thirds innings uh, for the second straight day. That duo works out well. They don't give up any runs, combine three hits, and the Pirates eventually start to find some power at the plate, and I tweeted this out. Pretty amazing that ECU had four home runs as a team through nine games entering Saturday's contest. They hit three home runs in a six-batter span across the bottom of the seventh and the bottom of the eighth inning as Alec Makarevich with a great at-bat hits a two-run shot to right. That's followed with a two-run shot to left by Zach Agnos. And then Josh Moylan gets his first big fly of the year, hitting a no-doubter to right field in the eighth. That made it 10-3. to Felt fairly comfortable at that point for ECU, but Michigan, with their stacked lineup, ended up fighting back. They score five runs and get the tying run to the plate in the ninth. Pirates uh, eventually call on Nick Logish, who we talked about earlier, got the midweek start. He ends up punching out uh, the final two batters of the game to earn his first save of the season. ECU wins 10-8. to So a lot of takeaways here. Again, offense continues to roll. We talk so much about the offensive struggles early in the year. You know, I always say pitching's a little ahead of offense, especially when you have some cold weather. Started to warm up this week, and I think we saw ECU's bats warm up as a result. But we're seeing much better at bats from guys, key guys that, that ECU's counting on, like 
Alec Makarevich has looked, you know, great this week over the past four games after a slower start. Zach Agnos has started to find it. Uh, Will Coxon and uh, Jenkins Cowart continue to check in with quality at bats basically every game. Bryson Worrell starting to hit the ball with some authority. Uh, Carter Cunningham, the last few games, has been a, a nice addition to the lineup. Really seems to be finding his his way. And so I think we're seeing this offense start to find itself. You know, it's still not all the way there. Um, still, I, I don't think this team's going to hit for a ton of power. But, you know, we did see some of that power potential on Saturday. And they're going to have to execute somewhere to Friday with some of the small ball to score runs consistently when the power is not there. But I think this weekend we saw – Overall, especially highlighted by Saturday's performance, just just how good this team can be, this offense can be when it's executing at a high level. So the Pirates go into Sunday's game against Maryland and two and zero, needing a win to secure the Keith LeClaire Classic title. You know, there's no official trophy or anything given out, but obviously, if you're ECU, you're hosting the tournament, you're playing for Coach LeClaire's legacy. There's a lot that goes into this in terms of the player pride, the coaching pride, and Coach Goblin certainly reminds these guys of that every year and, and every weekend leading into the Keith LeClaire Classic. So the Pirates entered the, the you know, they, they guaranteed themselves a share of the, the crown, but needed a win outright against a ranked Maryland club on Sunday to secure the title. Pirates end up doing just that. They win the game 6-3. to three. This was a rematch of the Greenville Regional Championship a year prior. And I really think this Maryland team is going to be better than that Maryland team. They have almost everybody back. They're a year older. Their starting rotation is as good as probably any team in the Big Ten. Um, and maybe as good as any team ECU will face all season. Just three quality arms. The Pirates end up seeing Jason Savicool in the Friday or in the Sunday role. He entered the game only allowing opponents to hit 193. He led the Terps in wins the last season as a freshman. Had 16 strikeouts compared to one walk entering the game after two starts. And, you know, he ended up going seven innings, but ECU hit him around pretty good early. They score one in the second, four in the third. We always talk about it, crooked numbers. Oftentimes you score as many runs as you need in one big inning in baseball, um, basically to last you the whole game. And that's what we saw on on su- Sunday as – Zach Agnos got the scoring started in the second with a sacrifice bunt. Another well-executed, this was a suicide squeeze as Alec Makarevich was breaking on the pinch. So he had to get the bunt down. He did to tie the game at 1-1. One one. And then we saw in the third inning, leadoff single from Joey Barini, who was starting in place of Ryder Giles, who was uh, out with an ankle injury, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, Bryson World then follows with the first pitch home run on a breaking ball against Savicool in his second at-bat to make it 3-1. A few batters later, Alec Makarevich back up, hits an RBI double down the line, and then Carter Cunningham sack fly to center. 5-1 just like that. and They punched Maryland in the face. Maryland never really recovered. Now, they threatened all game long. The story of the game was just Maryland's inability to hit with the bases loaded and ECU's ability to pitch out of those jams. And the amazing thing about Maryland is they got themselves into multiple hitter counts. 2-0, 3-1, 1-0, 2-1, and just could not take advantage. ECU made several quality pitches, win behind in the count, you know, pitching in off the plate. Uh, couldn't do that too much because Maryland crowds the plate so much, but a lot of quality pitches either up in the zone or in. They got Maryland to pop out in key spots. So, uh, Maryland is up leaving 11 on base, which is a pretty remarkable statistic. 
ECU, I think, only left one or two on base as they tended to make the most of their opportunities. But the real story of this game, once again, the bullpen. Jake Hunter, your starter, goes three innings, six hits, two runs, three strikeouts, no walks. So for the third straight game, the Pirates don't get an out in the fourth inning from the starter. I believe Hunter started the fourth but could not get out of the inning. Danny Bill ends up coming on, and I thought he looked as good as he has in his ECU career. You look at his final line, gives up a run on two hits and three Ks, but I, I thought overall he pitched as well as anything, and I believe it was him on the mound late in the game when there should have been a strike three, was not caught a strike three, and then that runner ended up getting on uh, via a base hit. He came around the score, so in reality, I don't know if Danny Bill should have given up a run at all. Either way, he gets the win with his two quality innings taken over in the fourth. Uh, Skylar Brooks didn't, you know, I think it was running on fumes a little bit after throwing 30-plus pitches on Friday. He does manage to get ECU five outs, walked a couple of guys, and gave up a hit, though, in the seventh, and that's when ECU turned to Ryder Giles. We talked about it earlier, out due to a twisted ankle, more as a precaution than anything. Um, didn't want him to play the field, but he was going to have to be ready to go just because ECU was short on arms and obviously needed some some experience on the back end against a very good team. Ryder Giles comes in in the seventh. It's a 6-3 game, and the bases are loaded with two outs. He falls behind uh, 2-0 and ends up jamming the batter on a 2-0 pitch, pop out to shallow right uh, field. Nice catch by Joey Barini to get out of the inning. So, Huge pitch and a, and a clutch moment from Giles, who continues to do it with deception, command, a little bit of everything on the mound, only topping out at about 84 miles per hour. Uh, he ends up going the rest of the way, does not allow another base runner. Three punch outs, two and a third to earn his first save of the season. Um, I take that back, he did he did plunk one batter, but I'll say that, did not allow another base runner, did not walk anybody, struck out three. So, but phenomenal performance from Giles to cap off a great bullpen performance really all the way around. Um, even you look back at Saturday's game, the play that Giles got hurt on, Bradley Wilson was pitching when it was a 10-3 game, and guy hits a routine ball to shortstop with one out. Giles fills it easily, goes to make the throw, falls down, twists his ankle. Runner reaches. Instead of it being two outs, nobody on, uh, Michigan has some life, and they end up, really storming back and almost tying the game. But if Giles makes that play and there's no freak play, then I think that that inning goes a lot different. So the bullpen having to go at least six innings all three weekend games to perform the way they did was phenomenal. And Coach Goblin talked about in the preseason, he felt this was going to be the deepest staff he's had at ECU early on. There were some people questioning if that was a fair statement or not based on the early results. But really, this pitching staff has looked deep in terms of number, we're seeing quality arms. We're seeing good performances from several guys. We're seeing guys like Carter Spivey, Josh Groves coming to their own as experienced guys. We're seeing some young people that are really stepping up. And we're seeing ECU do this without C.J. Mayhew at his best, without the starting rotation at his best, without Carson Wisenhunt, even a, a piece of this team right now. So I still think there are some things for this unit, obviously, to improve upon. I mean, starting pitching at some point has got to get deeper in the games. You can't keep relying on your bullpen to go five, six innings, or they're, they are just going to wear down at some point. But uh, I, I do like the options we're seeing, the different names we're seeing, because obviously the more guys you can get out there in pressure moments, the more guys who can succeed 
in those spots, the more confidence you're going to have later in the season, you know, to withstand some of the wear and tear, the fatigue, the injuries that you're going to experience in a baseball season. So I think it's a a big deal that ECU is getting so many quality arms in and seeing guys succeed in those spots early in the year. That's something we haven't maybe seen as much of in the past. So that's a major positive for this ECU baseball team, which now sits six and five on the season back above 500 for the first time this year. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will answer your questions on Twitter, dealing with this weekend, and potentially looking forward as well. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. Uh, before we get to the questions, um, surprisingly, I don't think, no Carson Wisenhunt questions this week on the Twitter. So I, I will say I asked Coach Goblin after the game about Carson Wisenhunt's status, and he said, let me see if I can find the quote. We're here quickly. He said basically he um, is still unavailable. And all right, here's the quote. So I asked Cliff Godwin if there's any clarity on the Carson Wisenhunt suspension that can be provided at this time. You know, we're three weeks into the season. We know he was suspended for the opening weekend. Clearly still suspended. We've talked about it in the past. The rumors going around doesn't need to be rehashed at this time. Um, no clarity at this moment per Coach Godwin. He will not pitch on Friday this week. Our guys that are playing, that's what I want to talk about. They're doing a great job, end quote. So, you know, we had to ask. It's a story. It will continue to be a story until ECU. It will continue to be a question until ECU addresses it one way or the other. Exactly either what's happened or what's Carson Wisenhunt's final status. I mean, he's the preseason All-American potential first-round pick. So, like, we're going to continue to ask about it. ECU at some point has to address it one way or the other. And we'll continue to see how this thing plays out. But either way, the team is winning. Uh, six and five. You know, it, it has been a distraction, I feel like, especially early in the season more so than now. So it's almost like, depending on what happens with the situation, uh, I think how ECU addresses it in terms of the, the PR side of it can, uh, I, I think there will be some strategy involved, I should say, because you don't want to ruin team chemistry based upon, you know, his status, either not coming back at all or coming back to the team at some point or whatnot. So... We'll continue to follow that situation, but it is what it is at this time. No clarity per Cliff Goblin uh, based upon his answer. All right, let's get into some of these questions. Uh, new and improved Redbeard. 
I didn't know Redbeard asked questions. I thought he just made smart-ass comments. But uh, he says, who is the current breakout star for the Pirates after this week? You know, I think it's got to be Jacob Jenkins Coward. I think that the freshman, we, we all thought he would have a chance to make an impact from the left side as a, as a big DH. But you don't see too many guys come in at 6'6", 200-plus pounds that have a pretty simple swing. And for being such a big guy, Jenkins Coward, that's the most impressive part of his game. Usually you see those guys that are all-or-nothing hitters his size have a lot of moving parts in their swing. But for, for Jacob Jenkins Coward, it doesn't seem that way. You know, he makes pretty good contact. I mean, he'll strike out, obviously. And, you know, but his strikeout rate isn't that bad. I mean, he, he makes consistent contact. He's not only a power hitter, but he hits for singles. Um, walks a decent amount. So I feel like his feel for the zone, his, you know, ability to control the bat, to go to all fields for a big guy is the most impressive part of his game. And he's helped solidify the middle of that order. Even with Josh Moylan struggling, I think Jenkins Cowherd's ability to step up as a freshman has been huge. And look, I don't expect this to continue all year long. He's a freshman. At some point, he'll hit a wall. At some point, some team will find a, a potential weakness in his swing, and teams will try to exploit that. But I think eventually he'll hit for more power, and I think he'll if he continues to do what he does, makes the contact he's, he's consistently making, he'll continue to check in with the hit every now and then. He's not going to hit 450 or whatever he's hitting now, but, I mean, he's been a, a major find for this team. And really, we all expected, you know, Josh Moylan or, you know, even a, another freshman, Ryan McChrystal, to kind of fulfill that role. But I think Jenkins Coward has been a nice surprise for this team. Uh, Josh in NC says, can Holt Naylor still pitch? Uh, and Holt Naylor's like this tweet, by the way. So I did cover Holt Naylor's as a Conley baseball player a few games, working for the Daily Reflector here in town as an intern. Did see him pitch on a few occasions. Um, I thought he was a better hitter in high school than a pitcher, at least from what I saw. Now, he could overwhelm some teams with his velocity, but I think I'm sure with him still playing football, he and throwing so much, he can get out there and pitch a little bit. Now, I doubt Mike Houston would. Uh, allow that to happen. Last thing you want is your starting quarterback to have Tommy John. But I, I think if ECU needs a DH for a game, I think you can call on Holton Aylers and maybe maybe even a pinch hit spot needing a grand slam or a home run late. I think Holton has plenty of pop still left in that bat if he can make some contact. So um, I think the, the better option is Holton Aylers hitting right now more so than pitching. But I, I doubt we will see either. All right, Jake Pollard says pitching was very solid and had quality at bats all weekend. I think this team just needed a little time to settle into their roles, and good to see NC State come back to earth. Baseball is a humbling game. It really is, man. Baseball, it's the cliche. It's a game of failure. If you succeed three out of ten times, if you're a hitter and bat 300, you're having a, a hell of a career, a hell of a, a hell of a week, hell of a year. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing everybody was talking about NC State – Best team in America, um, Tommy White or whatever the guy's name is, going to win the Golden Spikes Award, and obviously he still can with his, I think he's already got double-digit home runs or whatever, but yeah, they get swept at home by Northeastern, and Northeastern's a quality team, much like Bryant. You know, I think they're very similar similar in terms of typically being a regional team, postseason caliber team, got swept at home. 
And that's what happens when you don't play your best baseball against a decent team. Now, Bryant has gone 0-6 since sweeping ECU. They were swept at Davidson and swept against a ranked ODU team. So, you know, that is a little concerning, but I, I just think you're right. Overall, ECU was not in a good spot. And I continue to say, you know, the Carson Wisnup thing, I think, kind of shell-shocked the team a little bit going into that opening series and kind of loomed over the team. And I think now they're over that. I think they've kind of found their identity. They've found some leaders to count on. They've found some guys in the lineup to really count on. I think that's why we're seeing this team come together. And, you know, they still have their flaws. They still have some things they need to work on. They're not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination, but they can certainly win and they can make a regional and, you know, potentially, if they continue to play like this, make a, a push for a regional hosting spot in time. There are still enough quality teams on the schedule where you can make up for that Bryant series loss, that series loss to UNC, which looks like it'll be a potential regional host team the way they're playing as they sweep Coastal Carolina. But there's there's so much season left. It's, you know, we all said the 1-5 start, it was kind of magnified because it happened in the middle, or the start of the season. You know, let's say you're 20-6 and six and you go 1-5. and five, it's more chalked up to just a bad stretch more so than, oh, we suck or whatever, or we can't hit, or we, we have no we have no chance without Carson Wisenhunt. But because it happened right at the start of the season, your record's 1-5 and five and not 21-10 and, and 10 or whatever, it's just so much more magnified. And I think now that this team has got its feet back under them, got some confidence, we're seeing it play to its its capability. So I definitely agree. A lot of new parts had to find their roles, had to get their feet under them. And I think we're seeing that play out now. All right, next question or just comment from Dan. He says, hot take RG3 stays in the pen. Well, I think RG3, Ryder Giles, he's talking about, you know, he's he's always going to be like that sneaky relief option that just when you think either as an ECU fan or the other team that you've got ECU in a, in a spot you want them in, you've used up their best bullpen arms, they're on Sunday or they're in a midweek game, like who do they have left? And they tried out Ryder Giles and this guy just fills up the zone, makes people look silly with his 77 mile an hour change up and his 73 mile an hour curveball and you just walk back to the dugout shaking your head if you're the batter after you struck out. And he's just a weapon, man. I mean, and, and look, people that want Ryder Giles to go to the bench and only become a reliever, I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, he's the team leader. Maybe we see more of Joey Barini or, or Jacob Starling or whatnot on the infield. But Ryder, I think, is going to stay in the lineup. This year, even though his average isn't high, he's making much more consistent contact. He's executed bunts better than anybody else on the team, which is a big part of Cliff Godwin's offense. Um, his strikeouts are way down. His walks are a, a tick up from last year, so I think that's an improvement, and I think eventually he'll start finding more holes. But, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Barini mixed in maybe once a week or whatnot. I just don't think we're ever going to get to the point where Giles is going to be a backup infielder. I think he's going to be a starter and a two-way guy. That's just how it's been um, the last few years under Cliff Godwin. So I, I don't see that changing just because he came to the, the game as a relief option and went two and a third. Now, on the days that potentially he doesn't play, I do like the fact that he can go longer because typically he only goes an inning or two and then you, you put him back at shortstop. But, you know, maybe Coach Goblin on a day that they're short on pitching strategically takes Giles out of the lineup and uses him in a situation where maybe you can use him two to three innings like we saw 
on Sunday because I do think it brings a lot of value to the team, especially when you just need a guy that, that you can trust to go in there, throw strikes, make the other team beat you. I mean, he, he'll give up some hard contact. I mean, he's throwing 84 miles per hour, but he's also going to get some key outs. Just That's just the way uh, he pitches. Uh, another comment on this, any thoughts on Giles just being a pitcher and Agnos playing shortstop with Barini playing second base from now? And Giles looks so solid on the mound, and Barini bats slightly better than Giles for career average. This is a question from Brad. Yeah, I mean, kind of just touched on that. I do I do like Barini as a switch hitter. You know, got a, you know, he's not going to hit for much power, but has the ability to go to all fields. Good line drive hitter. Has had some clutch at bats in the past. Um, you know, b- pound for pound, if Barini's playing a, kind of a full-time role, like you said, he probably ends up being a similar hitter to Giles in terms of being able to handle the bat, hit for average, not much power, but I do like kind of the ability to hit from both sides and, you know, to, to be a, a quality switch hitter somewhere in your lineup. So I would like to see Barini mixed in when when possible, but I don't think it's going to be something that happens full-time, kind of like I just touched on. Uh, cheap Seats, he's got a question. He says, why ain't your Twitter handle Stevie? Um, and my response on Twitter is because that name sucks. The name Stevie is, is, a, is a crappy name. People who call me Stevie... Um, just just don't do it. Don't call me Stevie. Don't call me Steve. My name is Steven. It's not Stefan. Like I often get. Thanks, Steph Curry, for uh for for ruining that. But no, nah, just yeah, Steven. Really it doesn't matter. You can call me whatever. I don't care. Uh Destry with uh he might may have our final question here. Yeah, we got a question here with the pirates heating up. How does this affect Joe Biden's outlook on the war in Ukraine? I'm staying away from that one. Um, submitted as a troll job by at I smell your foot. Gotta love the internet. Uh, Destry though he asked how much did ECU's RPI move after this huge week? It had to be in the tank after the 0-3 start. So here's the thing about RPI. This early in the season, it's pretty, pretty irrelevant. You know, it's not all the way irrelevant because an RPI has to start somewhere. But I typically go by the philosophy. I don't really start to look at it until conference play starts, especially for the American. Um, you, you just in baseball, there are so many games that you cannot really take the RPI for, for what it's worth in early March. So whatever it's at now, and I'll be honest, I have not looked at it a single time this season. And I'm about to look at it right now just to see the movement. Because I'm sure ECU went from like nearly dead last after 0-3 or 1-5 to probably top 100 based upon our five-game winning streak. It just jumps and fluctuates so much because a lot of it's based off your opponent's winning percentage and all that stuff, and so a lot of it just jumps so much day-to-day this early in the season. And it takes a while, probably a month or so, to stabilize to where it's anything useful. But I'm going to look at it right now. All right, so East Carolina is currently 78th in the RPI at 6 and 5. That is up 158 spots from the start of last week. So that gives you some So EC yeah, EC was well in the 200s uh based upon their 1 and 5 start. And so up to 78 after a five game winning streak if they go out and win, you know, another four or five games this week, they'll probably make another big leap. I mean, it's just too early to to really worry about this stuff. I mean, mid-season's more of an accurate barometer. You know, the most important thing ECU can do right now is just win baseball games. Win baseball games and everything will be okay. 
Um, your number will continue to move up. I think the schedule is good enough to where you're going to have a lot of quality wins if you continue to win games against the schedule. You know, for example, uh, Maryland right now is eighth in the RPI. Michigan is top uh, 60 right now. Uh, so you're going to continue to have quality wins. Indiana State top 100. And so these things are going to continue to fluctuate, but I think this is a chance. As long as ECU continues to win games against the schedule, their RPI is going to be just fine. It, you know, this is a really talented schedule, and once these teams get in the conference play, you know, some of the teams that ECU is facing, they're going to, their RPI is just going to continue to rise. So, um, lot, you know, just bottom line, too early to worry about it. Look at it again in probably about two weeks, maybe after ECU plays the VCU series and, and gears up for league play. Right now, just probably not a ton to worry about uh, on that front. But at least it is moving up because ECU is winning baseball games and not moving down because they're losing baseball games. That's the, the biggest takeaway for me. All right, that'll do it for the show. Thanks again to all you guys for the questions on social media and for listening as well. Again, we will have uh, this this coming weekend, barring some type of ECU basketball run to the postseason via the American Athletic Conference Championship, we'll have an ECU basketball season wrap-up. We'll try to get a guest on for that. And also, we will talk about the upcoming series against St. Mary's come Monday of next week as we wrap that one up as well. So a big five-game week for ECU. They're on the road at Virginia Tech, which is 9-1, and one, and then go to Radford on Wednesday for a spring break road trip, and they come home to host St. Mary's from California, which only has one loss on the season as well. So another tough week for ECU, and we will break it all down next week on the Voice of Colors podcast. Thank you guys for listening to this edition. We'll talk to you next time. of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.